Apparently, we're just starting Mental Health Mondays. So, hi, everyone. Welcome in. Apparently, we're going to start talking about feelings. I don't know why, but I do know why. I was talking about the fact that I like to eat my feelings. And it's one of the biggest assumptions about me is that I eat so well and I have to be so regimented and blah, 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 blah. When the truth is, I have so many eye boogers. When the truth actually is that I haven't tracked my eating or necessarily, I'm mindful of it, but I haven't tracked or focused on my eating in four or five years. I used to meticulously track my macros. If I was going out to eat at IHOP, I would be scanning the menu. I would be inputting it in my tracker. I'm weighing all my chicken. I'm going to Wava Grill. I'm weighing my rice. I'm weighing everything, all of that stuff. Granted, this was at a time when I was also competing for bodybuilding, so I had to be more strict in that way. Also, I didn't know how to eat, man. When I was in college and high school, when I was in high school, my nightly meal would be like three or four beefy five-layer burritos from Taco Bell and two monsters. I'd wake up the next day. My mom would make brown sugar cinnamon crepes. For lunch, I'd have four or five hot dogs. And then for dinner, I'd split up two boxes of mac and cheese with my mom. So one of the things I've learned many things from my mother. One of them was not healthy eating habits. So then when it came to me bodybuilding and doing that sort of stuff, I, I would eat a fat-ass protein, uh, 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 like six or seven, not like five or six eggs, four ounces of meat, a bunch of cheese. I'd just make a couple burritos to get enough protein for my macros, which was usually about 200 grams of protein, 200 to 220, I think. And then I would fill the rest of it with McDonald's McFlurries with, uh, dude, dry cream of wheat. I don't know what it is, but when it came to me and carbs, dry packets of, of brown sugar cinnamon, uh, cinnamon cream of wheat hit different. Judge me all you want, but I shit you not. If you try it, you're going to be on my side. You might get a little... You're going to have to have some sip, uh, sips of water in between, but it is, it's delicious. And I will die on that sword dry. Yes. 100%. No liquid just in my mouth. Tear it off. Bah, done. I would just, I, I would eat six or seven of those packets as a snack. When I was cutting for my bodybuilding competition, I would have those burritos. And then my dinner every day would be IHOP. I would go to IHOP, I would get five, like a five stack of their, I want to say at the time, it was like their banana creme brulee pancakes or something like that. I've never, I've never had uh, healthy eating habits. And so when I started dating my, uh, when I started dating Shelly, my ex, she was one of those, like, dude, you 
So I have an affinity. Uh, so I, when it comes to like stoner snacks, when it comes to snacks in general, I'm so basic. I either want ice cream or I want dry snacks. For example, my favorite things in the world, popcorners, kettle corn, or uh, cinnamon crunch chips, Nutter Butter, Ben and Jerry's, Cold Stone, Biscoff cookies. That's peanut butter M&Ms. Like very basic, just dry, crackery type things. Well, before recently, until I, until, okay. I've said it before. I love dry cereal. I cannot recall outside of college the last time I've had cereal with milk. I take a cup, of, uh, a cup, I fill it with cereal, and I sit there, and depending on how motivated I am and how high the cereal level is, I either will pick it out and eat it like that, like it's a bowl, or just chug it back and eat all the cereally goodness. Reese's Puffs, Frosted Flakes, Frosted Mini Wheats, Apple Jacks, Fruit Loops, Lucky Charms. Those are the main ones I'm snacking dry. I went through so many boxes of cereal that it got to a point where Shelly was like, you know what, dude, can you save these boxes? I'm going to do a sketch with them. Honey Nut Checks, Life, those two. Oh my gosh. When I tell you that we had, she kept it in a drawer. She actually ended up making a, a TikTok sketch off of it. You could probably still find it on her account if you scroll far enough back. Uh, it would have been in 2020. It would have been like April, May of 2020. I'll find it later. Remind me. A box, a stack of boxes, folded down, empty boxes of cereal. So again, and I still looked very similar to how I look now. However, the difference now is I've realized how not good that is to just eat like shit always and just think I can work myself off, like work it all off. I can. Yes, I did just turn 30, but I'm still very active. And even now... Like, the, the amount of shit I ate in the last week and the fact that I'm kind of almost back to where I was. I'm probably about a week away if I maintain my consistency and go back to jujitsu as well. But my whole point in saying this is that I have not eaten healthy. That is not a correct assumption about me. I struggle with eating just as much as... I, I, actually, I don't want to make that equation. When I'm high, yes. I don't understand how some people can smoke and not have the munchies. When, when I get, I would say within like three to four hours of light smoking, nah. It can be even further than that. Depending on the amount, there's like always just an amount. No matter whether it's at once and I just get super lit or spread, over, spread out through a day, they're just 
gets to a point where my my brain goes, we're going to eat it. That's what she said. And then and then I say, "Oh dude, like what?" And it my brain just goes, "Yes." And so that's and that's that's when I'm feeling good. Now you add stress, anxiety, maybe a little depressy sneaking in there because things are a little tough. And I will eat an entire extra large Domino's pizza. I will eat two of those bags of popcorners. And then I will order Postmates and get the biggest size you can get before a pint of Cold Stone or six uh, or half a dozen donuts from another place. And I still look like this. I could do, I was, I would do that on an unhealthy. That's why having my cook unity meals is so essential because if I, I I don't want to cook. And so if I don't have something here, when I know I'm feeling like that, I'm going to go to, to something shitty. Yeah. Chipotle is good, but then my brain will go dude, pizza. And then it's the decision is made for me before I even realize it's happened. So for those of you that, but when I'm sober, doesn't really mean doesn't really matter and i can only i will eat three quarters of a pizza as opposed to the whole thing plus more so it's just insane what those munchies and emotions will do to my appetite in that way or to i don't even know if it's my appetite i don't what would you call it because it's not i feel like your appetite is how you naturally feel hungry it would almost be a forced appetite or something like that. Anyways, that was a very, very interesting way for us to start Mental Health Mondays. But I appreciate you letting me get all of that out. Um, we have a lovely, lovely comment to start us off from the one and only Heather. And she just says, I just want to say I appreciate you. The life has been challenging, but I'm reminded of things we've chatted about in Mental Health Mondays and the advice you've given to me and or the community. It's been really helpful. So much love and appreciation. Heather, I appreciate you. Thank you for everything as well. If we could just get some puppy loves in all of this. Uh, Courtney wants to know, can you talk about green flags, what they look like and getting better at recognizing them? Friendships, relationships, familial relationships, and yes, the opposite red flags. Ooh, this is a very lovely question, especially considering the things that I've been going through recently. The green flags that I look for are definitely a good group of friends. I'm well, I don't even want to say the green flags that I'm looking for. When I start talking to someone and when I start dating someone, when I start uh, becoming someone's friend, what have you, I don't know how many things I'm looking for. So we'll see as we all learn together, but I'm definitely looking for how your, your friends, the quality of your friends, how you speak of them, how your relationship is with them. Because I can tell how you're going to treat me based on how you treat your friends and how all of your friends treat you, what you're willing to be treated like as well. That it works both ways, not just how is this person going to treat me, 
but is this person going to be someone that stands up for themselves? Are they someone that challenges their friends when they're being dickheads? That sort of thing. The second would be their interactions with strangers and how they speak about people that they don't know, uh, people that they might have differences with. Are they using words of, of kindness and are they attempting to understand these people better or are they simply just speaking negatively without getting to a point of like trying to understand or have some level of discourse. And then, I mean, I think you could lump friends and I would say friends and family as well. Um, and then third, I would say that it's their perspective on life, like how they speak about everything else in their lives, how they speak about work, how they speak about their struggles, how they speak about their goals, ambitions, dreams. Do they have those? So I think all of those things, speaking about those that they care about, speaking about those that they don't know, and essentially speaking about themselves, through those three things, I'm really going to be able to tell, like, are you a good person? Because that's that's really going to be told in, you know, your your truly in strangers because people can treat their friends and those they love very, very well, but treat strangers like shit. So that's why I like finding out those two. And then when it comes to, oh my gosh, I think we just realized it's three things. I'm interested in their relationships with those they love, their relationships with those that they don't know, and their relationship with themselves. What? Let's go! Because based on all those three things, I can figure out how good of a person you are, how uh, emotionally mature you are, the level of depth that you're willing to go with your friendships and those that you care about. So those are the three things that I'm looking for and really thinking about when it comes to talking to another person. Like that's why one of the, and one of my first things that I like to do is get to an emotional conversation. I like to get to a level of depth where there can almost be a debate. There can almost be a challenge. Like I like, I don't like, I don't want to say that I don't like easy relationships, but I do. I like relationships that challenge me. I like relationships that challenge me mentally. I like that in each of my friends, every single one of them, we could tell them, I disagree with that. Or what did you mean by that? Or can we talk about that? I don't understand that. And you can come to a level you can just have greater conversations because it's no fun. You want to have things in common, but you don't want to just agree all the time. If you're just sitting there like, dude, this is, look at this. They're talking about this, this, uh, this gender issue. And everyone's like, oh, dude, do you agree? I agree. Yeah, obviously it's nice to have an agreement in terms of like making sure that we both agree we're respecting people, but to have a more nuanced conversation to be like, what even okay before you got to your agreement what was your level of thinking to get here were you always this level of thinker was there something that you had to think about really hard and work through and research and have conversations about in order to get to a level of comfort uh, comfortability with x y or z that's why i love conversations because there's so much more to just 
yeah, you know, I love, I love my job because it's what I've always wanted to do. Okay. Why did you always want to do this? What, what about it excites you? Where do you find the most joy in this? What, what about it do you wish was different? Like all those little nuanced things. If I can find someone to have that conversation, someone who is willing to think critically about themselves, about others, that's what I freaking want. So that, those are my green flags right there. Those are the things I'm looking for. What is your relationship like with those you love? What is your relationship like with those that you don't know? And what is your relationship like with yourself? And then within each of those three things, you could figure out whether this person is compatible, a good person for you, not the best person. They have some growing, whatever that might be. So Courtney, thank you. That was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful question. So Gareth J has a beautiful question who says, I'm wondering what are your thoughts on mental health issues that are legit and mental health issues that are for attention? I lost my best friend to mental depression at the age of 26 and he never uttered a word to anyone about it. And I wish he had just spoken to me. So now I have a few friends who use mental depression as maybe an excuse and I'm not sure if it's legit or not. Do you know what I mean? Dude, thank you so much for this question. And this is something that I feel so many of us are experiencing. Also, I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm so sorry that you had to experience that. That is a painful thing to go through, especially with someone that was so close to you. And, you know, there's always those questions of, it's a very tough situation to go through. So I'm so sorry you had to go through that. I love that you're asking this because this is a... This can be a very delicate issue. Um, yes, are people going to use mental health issues as excuses or are they going to use them as crutches or even identities at this point? Yes. My belief is, again, open and honest conversations with people. So, and, and this is just my perspective, but if I have a friend that's going through what they say is very, very deep depression or whatever, and my, my job is not to judge, I want to trust every single one of my friends. That is why they are my friends. That is why I keep those people close within my life. If I can't trust you, I'm not going to associate with uh, you because I can't trust you with my heart. I can't trust you to X, Y, or Z. doesn't matter what the trust reason is for. If I can't trust you, I'm good. So I have that trust with my friends to know that they're not going to A, say something like that and not actually mean it. But B, if they do say something and I don't understand, I can ask more questions because, and I don't know if you experience depression or you are experiencing any mental illness things, but one, we can only believe people. We can only believe people until they show us repeatedly that they are not telling us the truth. So that's why I go into every situation trusting someone until you give me a reason not to trust you. So if I have a friend that's saying, dude, I'm struggling with mental health and I'm like, depression, whatever it might be. And, and I'm thinking, mm, I don't know about that. Instead of judging them, instead of thinking that I'll say, oh, okay. 
then let me understand this more. Because depending on your level of knowledge, maybe you know that it is not depression. Maybe you just know that they are very sad. Either way, you want to make sure that they are feeling understood because that's probably one of the reasons why they're bringing this to you in the first place, why they're putting this out into the world is because they want some validation. They want to feel heard, seen, understood. And so by you immediately saying no, A, if it's true, then that's really hurtful. If they're lying, A, I would really hope they're not. But then B, that's just going to make them continue to seek it from someone who will believe them. But that's why asking questions can help so much. You just ask, what does this feel like for you? What are you, what are you experiencing? Do you know when this started? And then it also, before, like, it, it, there's different steps before this too. Because if you have someone who comes to you who says, hey, I'm feeling depressed. The first thing you need to ask is, are you, uh, the first thing that you need to ask is, is what they need, right? Because a lot of the times, and this is an example I use a lot. I was feeling depressed earlier in the, earlier in the year. And because I learned this, I was able to help my uh, girlfriend at the time help me. And that question that you ask someone when they're in crisis is how can I help you? Are you asking for advice or are you needing to vent or just talk because for me when i was feeling extremely depressed one of the things that made it worse was when someone tried to change how i felt when someone tried to be extra and be like there's a difference between having a partner that is naturally cheery and you both are just engaging in cheerful behavior and when someone's trying to cheer you up it almost feels like pity and so when I had spoken to her uh, when I, that I was depressed, we had had this conversation. So she was like, what, what do you need? What does support look like for you in this moment? And I said, just let me be. I don't, I don't need you to try and make me happy. I don't need you to do any of that. Just be yourself. And I understand that that might be difficult because I'm going to be sad. So you trying to make the same jokes that you might make might seem weird, but that is going to help me because it'll remind me that everything is normal and it's okay, you know? So that is why you need to try and understand that person. You need to figure out, do they want to vent about what's going on in their life or do they actually want some help? And then you can also then realize over the course of time, oh, they're only coming to me to just blurt out their problems. Like this doesn't seem like a fair relationship. And then you can realize, oh, then maybe I don't have those sorts of conversations with them, right? You want to start off believing them as much as possible because that's just what will help in the moment. And then over the course of time, through having those conversations, through asking questions, you can then get to a point of either realizing it's legit and you're helping this person or maybe that it might not feel genuine. It might not feel authentic. And then you can separate from that situation. You can decide whether that's something you want to bring up or not. Like, but again, just looking, looking to gain that understanding is always my, my go-to solution or my go-to when it comes to any issue, when it comes to any confrontation, because you can't progress unless you truly, the, the more you understand about a situation, the better you are going to be able 
to solve it, to adjust it, to step away from it. So try and gain that understanding in that situation. And uh, yeah, man, trust your friends. You'd, you'd be surprised. It's also people are finally learning the language to these feelings that they've been having for so long. So I think we almost need to believe people a little bit more in this and trust that people are just understanding their feelings. And again, you know when someone's BSing you. So trust that. All right. We have, lastly, a question from Mr. Gage C, who says, recently been having more intrusive thoughts on my own mortality. They pop up at random times, driving, getting ready for bed, etc. They seem to have only gotten worse with becoming a parent. I have brought this up to my wife, and she confirms that, uh, that she gets that also. We are trying to come to terms with our own death. Any recommendations on ways to stop the intrusive thoughts? Doggy, I appreciate this one, man. This is something, even though I'm 30, that I've thought a lot about as well. And I think one of the things personally that helped me really get past my own fear of death or coming to terms with it. I'll, I'll be forthright. I've always had a fear of dying young. I've always had a fear of, I might not get to live my life. I'm going to miss out on so many things. What about blah, 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 blah. And that has been how I've thought for, I had thought for so long. And it's wild that you asked this question because had this had you been, had you asked me this years from now or uh, years back, I would have said that. I would have said, dude, I, I just, I don't want to die young. I'm, I'm so afraid. But now, I think, I think what happened was when I gained my understanding of When you enter a relationship, there's only two ways this relationship is going to end. Because you both are just not feeling it or because one of you dies. And that then led to the death aspect, which was, when I die, I'm gone. Like, whether you believe in an afterlife or not, if you believe in an afterlife, I would assume that it would be heaven and it would be a happier alternative to the point where, yes, you've passed, but you don't have the angst or the missing. There's your, your home, you know? But then also on the alternative, if there is no afterlife, then there's nothing. Then there's nothing either. So as morbid as it sounds, the joke is the only, only things that are guaranteed in life are death and taxes. The, like... The only sure thing that you know is that you're going to die. And I'm hoping, this is the first I've had this conversation, so I'm hoping I'm not making this worse for anyone, but it's one thing that will happen no matter 
how much money we have, no matter how greatly, how great we take care of ourselves, no matter, no matter what, we will leave this earth at some point. And so I think when you just realize, like one of the expectations, right? When you know what to expect, it becomes scary. I think when you become a parent, you immediately, you are this, you are this little nuggets lifeline. You are the thing keeping this thing alive. And so if I am not here, then that means that no one is here to take care of this thing. And then this thing will also pass. This thing will suffer because I am not here. But that is literally how it's going to happen. No matter at what age, like you will leave this earth. And that little nugget, whether it's at, regardless of the age, will be okay. Because you have done the work now to realize that it will happen. And that it's just a part of life. We all grow, we learn, we die. And so just, and I think that, that then makes it more special because I, I mean, here's the thing. It's all a matter of perspective, I think, because you can look at this, you can look at every day, everything you do, there's an option that you could fall down and, and cease to live doing it, right? You could be walking to get something out of your car. You could be driving. You could be fly you could be doing nothing. You could be asleep and it can happen. And so I think that's like it's for my brain just knowing that it's going to happen. Like it doesn't matter what I do. It's going to happen. It becomes more comforting. You know? Like like in Harry Potter, when it comes to the the um, third brother who had the cloak of invisibility, uh, invinc invisibility, pardon me, he greeted death like an old friend because he knew that that's what was going to happen. He knew that he was going to live his life, and at some point, that scary creature with the scythe and the hood and the cloak that's three sizes too big is going to come here and take me away. That's okay. So, yeah. Um, I hope that helped. I, as weird, like that just comforted me in a weird way. So, wow. Dude, who would have thought we brought it around here? Holy hell. Gage, thank you for the question. I appreciate you so much. Tater. Stream name is I Got Puppies. Backed out. Boom. All right. We have a question from Chris P. Chris P. Would like to know. Uh, hold on. Um, Yes, give me two secs. 
Oh, jeez. I don't know. Yeah, Tater, I'm going to have to get it to you a little later. I don't know what my, uh, my password is for that right now. For some reason, it logged me out of my Steam. Um, so, Chris P. asked, dealing with shame. I have slash had depression and got medicated for it, but I'm doing much better now. I was dealing with it while watching porn, which was one of my methods of self-medication. It almost took destroying my marriage to seek help. My wife's the most amazing human being ever and understanding. I think I have that under control, but I still hold on to a lot due to the feeling of shame. If I do something, I feel shameful, so then don't speak about it and then feel even more shameful. So essentially a question about dealing with shame. So I am, first of all, so sorry that you're dealing with this, but so happy and thankful for you asking this question. Shout out Brene Brown. The best solution to shame is to speak about it. With shame, we feel alone. We feel isolated. We feel like our problems are not worth speaking about. We feel judged. We feel less than. And so the opposite of, I forget what the true opposite of it, Heather, if you're in here, you'll be able to help me. But the opposite of shame, I want to say is empathy, is love, is speaking about those things, is knowing that your problems are valid, your problems are important, your problems deserve to be heard, respected, and held. And so truly, it's, especially if you, I, I understand there's going to be parts throughout your recovery where you're going to be able to have those conversations with your wife about things, and there's going to be things that you bring to your therapist or whomever you're person you're seeking help from is um and then you then bring it to your partner because you can't you can't unfortunately unload all of that on your partner um a hundred percent of the time there has to be someone else so when it comes to that shame with your partner it's about it's about bringing that shame out into the world it's about not bringing not bringing out the shame but whatever you are feeling down about speaking it to truth, speaking out, speaking it out into the world, talking about that with the person that you're having that relationship with. And empathy and self-compassion, there we go. That's what it is. Because shame is a social emotion, right? You have to, there has to be, there has to be an other in order for shame to occur, right? Because you're, you're having that, that self-judgment for something. But that judgment is based on someone else's opinion of you as well, right? And so when you give yourself that self-love, when you are empathetic to your scenario and situation, and then you bring that to your partner, you bring that. And also, you, yeah, you just, you, you gain that trust especially if you have that partner that mm, I don't like where I was going with that thought. Yeah. 
talking about it, having those conversations, especially if it's in relationship with your, with your wife, with your partner, having those conversations with them. Um, because I can guarantee you, especially if you have someone who loves you and respects you and someone who wants to help you, they're going to want to have those conversations with you as well. They're going to want to make sure that you're also feeling okay. Um, so yeah, I hope that helps. There we go. Dude, I took so much from that freaking book. Shame resilience, recognizing and understanding its triggers. So when you're feeling those judgments, you're feeling that type of way. Your critical awareness. So truly, truly understanding of when it's hitting. Oh my gosh, I'm feeling this way. This is why it's happening. Reaching out and then speaking shame. So reaching out to the person that you love, the person that it's affected. If there's someone else that it's based off of, that's like a stranger taking that to someone you love and, um, speaking about it, talking about it, letting everyone know that it's okay. Like, that's why I'm, that's why I'm so motivated about this podcast. And that's why I'm essentially going to take it. And it's going to be the, what the fluff podcast bringing mental health conversations into the gaming and esports space, because that this is what I'm passionate about. I love this. I love how many people we can reach through gaming and through all of this. So, and yes, the book is Atlas of the Heart. It is amazing. So talk about it, man. Have those conversations and know that you're not alone. Know that you're loved. Know that you're cared about, sir. I appreciate you. Thank you, Chris. All right, final question. From Maggie E. This is a longer one. So here we go. My husband has going, uh, been going through a lot lately. He has been having constant panic attacks with explosive anger over the past two months. We had been working with his doctor and therapist to figure out, but unfortunately last week we had to admit him to the hospital. They are going to discharge him tomorrow. I've tried to be supportive in learning how to be there for him. Sometimes it feels like he sees me as the enemy. I feel so bad saying this, but it has been... Nice having a break from him being home. I have visited him every day, but I can somewhat relax when I go home now. I'm happy he's coming home, but also so nervous about things not really changing. The things stressing him out, we still have to deal with. And it sounds like he hasn't really talked with a professional more than how his meds are working. I guess I'm struggling with where and how to put up boundaries from supporting him and letting his mental health affect me and making it hard to be supportive of him. Sorry for the question. And I know it's a lot. I appreciate you doing this. I feel like I don't have many people to talk about because he is embarrassed by all of this. Thank you so much for bringing this up. I am, again, so sorry that you and your husband are going through this. This is not easy. But luckily, you asked about boundaries. And I, while I feel like I've, I, can, I can always speak about those. Those are something I feel like I have a stamp of expert approval in. So with with all of that, so I want to go to the things stressing him out we still have to deal with, and it sounds like he hasn't really talked with a professional more than his meds are working. I'm struggling with where and how to put up boundaries from supporting him and letting his mental health affect me and making it hard to be supportive of him. So there's, of course, I want to say there's three aspects to this. One is going to be your own boundary in how much you help. Um, and that 
will be based on the boundary that he needs to set, that you need him to set, of him taking his own mental health into his own hands to an extent. The third will be the boundary of how, of how you two then interact together after that. So let's start off. I don't know why I started in that weird freaking order, but let's start off with his own boundary. So what you had mentioned, which is why I wanted to talk about it, was supporting, was letting his mental health affect me. Also, the fact that you said, uh, what is it? He, uh, he sounds like he hasn't really talked with a professional more about how his meds are working. So you need to know from him how committed he is to his own healing. Because if unfortunately, as, as I'm just going to, I'm going to put it how I put it. If this man is not taking care of his mental health and you are having to take care of his mental health, it's not going to work. You, but it's going to be a never, a never ending pit because it already sounds like based on how things are going, he's not prioritizing his own self-care and it's led you guys to this point. So unless he is going to take care of his own mental to an extent, like there has to be steps that he's taking to make sure that he's taking his medication every day. He's seeing his therapist and talking about the proper things, that sort of thing. If those things are happening, then it goes to, I mean, that's, so that's a component. Then based on all of that, you need to decide your boundary because my, my thing would be if my partner isn't working on themselves, I'm not going to be the one to work on them for them, right? You, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. If they're not prioritizing their own self-care, if they are not wanting it for themselves, you are not going to make them want it. So if that is the situation that ends up occurring where it doesn't look like he's trying to take care of his own self, in my own life, I would step away. Because again, I'm just going to be pouring energy into a bottomless well that isn't, isn't going to actually fill up. Um, but if there is that willingness to be better, if there is that willingness to take control of their mental health, then you have to set up those boundaries and certain safeguards when certain behaviors start to emerge. So I need you to know that if you start yelling, I'm going to walk away and lock myself in my room and we will continue this conversation when you've calmed down. Um, or that sort of thing. I don't want to say lock because I don't want to assume that there's any domestic violence um, happening, which if there is, please uh, seek help for that. Um, that is not anything to be messing around with. Um, but if it's just tantrums where there's a heightened level of emotion in the house, I will not speak to you while this behavior is happening and doing your best to hold those boundaries, having the quickest of exits for any time that happens, knowing that there's, there's no wishy-washy. There's no, okay, on the second time you, no. The first time you raise your voice, I'm walking away and leaving because that is not acceptable and that is not something that is good for me or helps me. And so then if you have him committed to himself, 
you have those safeguards of knowing what bothers you about like what the most likely scenarios are when things get heated when you know those things then you are able to then back out of that right you are able to say okay if this happens i'm going to do this if this happens i'm going to do this blah 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 blah. letting him know that so that everyone knows this is the deal and then setting up safeguards for if those are not uh, met as well the first time that you violate a boundary i'm going to and then making sure you're also sticking with those things so you got this it's going to be so hard the establishing of the boundaries is the easiest part the holding of them the standing up for yourself is the hardest but i know you got this and you have a huge community here if you need some help we got you y'all thank you guys all of those freaking questions. That was an amazing, amazing, amazing mental health Monday. So y'all, that was it for today, dude. Thank you, like I said, for all your questions. All right, there's a link at the bottom. Pardon me, in the description for the Mental Health Mondays questionnaire, you can get your question answered or you could come by the Twitch every Monday around 11.30, 11 a.m. Mountain Time. We're gonna be here talking about your questions uh, on the Mental Health Mondays segment of the What The Fluff podcast. We're bringing gaming and mental health conversations together and it's a blast. So I appreciate you guys. Thank you guys for listening. Remember, you're only as amazing as you treat other people. So be kind to someone for no other reason then it's the awesome thing to do. The stream is continuing, but this recording is done. I appreciate you. I love you. And I'll catch you on another episode next week of Mental Health Mondays. Go us, everybody.